backwards for that. This morning, of course, because of the day, we're going to take a, a break from our usual readings and preaching from the book of Mark. We're going to look at the book of Matthew this morning, one book, of course, before Mark. Matthew chapter 26 this morning. If you have your Bibles, there's Bibles in front of you. If you don't have one, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 26 this morning. Matthew 26. And as you're turning, I'm going to ask you a question. So what is this day really about? What's this day really about? Of course, you think of Easter or Resurrection Day, however you want to call it. It's a day of tradition, right? Many of you were raised probably looking for Easter eggs. How many of you did that? You raised, you, you, looking for Easter eggs. Some of you uh, ate the chocolate bunny, the whole thing. Or sometimes you ate a little bit of it and last of Christmas and you found it somewhere else in this half mold and you threw it away. Some of you colored Easter eggs and you did all that. And some of you even, even some of you like peeps. Some of you even like peeps. You don't have to confess your sin right now. <laughs> the altar call is a little bit later. But everybody has ideas about Easter. Some of you probably raised your mom and dad got you Easter baskets. You know, you kind of like Christmas. You wake up in the morning. You go down there and you see the, the baskets and have jelly beans and candies and all the things. Yeah, lots, lots of things when it comes to Easter. It's a lot of tradition, much like Christmas. A lot of traditions, a lot of things about Easter. But what really is what really is Easter or resurrection about? What's it really about? Well, Easter is about a Christ who's coming to save you. It's about Jesus Christ willing to die, to, to put away your sin, your guilt, your shame, your regret. Easter is about hope, hope for a future. Because Christ came, as was prophesied in the Old Testament, and if he came the first time, surely he's going to come back as he promised he would. So it's about taking away our sin debt that we all owe. It's about giving us hope for the future. It's about new life. Blood that was shed so we can live forever. That's what Easter's about. Have you thought about Easter and what it means for you? Have you thought about what Jesus Christ has done for you? This morning, we're going to look four, at four different scenes or four different places in the Scripture where Christ, until Christ ultimately died and shed His blood and was rose, rose again for us. But the first scene I want us to look at is in Matthew chapter 26 and in verse 6. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 6. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 6, it says, Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came a, him a woman having an alabaster box of, of very precious ointment and poured it on his head, and he sat at meat. And when his disciples saw it, they had an indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For the ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? But she have wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she saith, 
hath poured this ointment on my body. She did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever, wheresoever the gospel shall be preached in this whole world, there shall also this that the woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. The first thing we see is Jesus Christ coming actually to this place called the house of Simon the leper. And there with his disciples, he meets a lady, a lady that you see throughout the scripture. Her name is Mary. Mary has a sister named Martha and have a brother named Lazarus. You might have heard of him. He did something like he rose from the dead because of what Jesus said to him. But this place, as he was there in this, this leper's house, Jesus is anointed. Jesus is anointed. He's anointed. She's a, he's anointed by this costly perfume. And as you think about this costly perfume, we think about things that are important to us. What are things that are important to you? Uh, friends, family. Maybe you have a hobby. Maybe you have a habit. Maybe things that, that, that are important to you. Some of us uh, put, uh, we have plans. Maybe you have a plan, maybe even to go eat somewhere this afternoon. Or you have plans tomorrow. Or, or we have lots of things that, that we sometimes, we, that are, we hold important people in our life or things in our life. But this ointment that was, that was placed on Jesus Christ was a costly ointment. Some believe today, as I've studied this, that it could have cost up to $10,000. Think about putting $10,000 on a person. Now, some of you wouldn't put that on your spouse or your husband. If it costs 50 cents, you want to get rid of it. But think 50. Thick, ten thousand dollars. Why was she doing this? Why, why take this? Why take this precious ointment that for people in that day it was days, maybe year, year up to year, a year, a year's wages for this costly ointment to be poured on Jesus Christ. Why did she do that? She did that because she loved him. She loved him. Do you love Jesus? Is there anything in your life that is more important than Jesus? So often we put so much, so many things before Jesus, don't we? We put work before Jesus, we put things before Jesus, we put stuff before Jesus. But imagine today bringing in $10,000, putting it into the offering plate. I know we'd have one happy guy right there. This lady took away a, a, a year's wages and placed it on Jesus because she really loved him. And I believe as, his disciple, as a disciple of Jesus, she knew it was time for his burial, his death, and his resurrection. But Judas, is, doesn't say it here, but Judas specifically says in other passages that Judas, Judas would betray him. <laughs> Judas would would say, that's, that's too much. That's just, why would you do that? Why would you do this? We could, we could actually sell it. <laughs> we could give it to someone else. G Judas would betray Jesus. Have you ever betrayed Jesus? To be honest with you, everyone in this room has betrayed Jesus, haven't we? We've all done it. We like to say, well, that person's done. We, we, we like to compare ourselves with other people. Well, I'm not quite as bad as that person. But we've all betrayed Jesus, right? With our words, with our attitude, with our actions. All of us have. G Judas 
is us. We've all betrayed him. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's been times in our life we put money before God. We put people before God. We put plans before God. We placed stuff before the person that created us, redeemed us, was willing to die for us, shed his blood for us. Yes, Judas would betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He would betray him. Have you ever been betrayed? Has anyone ever proverbially stabbed you in the back? Anyone ever promised you something that didn't come through or said they would do something they, they didn't do it? We've all done it to God and we've all had it done to us. But in the midst of that betrayal, Jesus continued. He didn't quit, did he? He continued because he knew there was a price to be paid. What is your price today? What would you give up Jesus for today? Some say, I would, I would die for him. Remember, Peter said, I would die for you. Uh, though, though everybody forsakes you, Jesus, I'll follow you. Did, did Peter do that? No, a little servant girl comes and says, hey, was you with Jesus? Oh, no, no, was it me? She denied, he denied Jesus Christ three times because he did not want to be identified with Jesus Christ. Are you okay of being identified with Jesus Christ? You have a, a t-shirt that has Christ on it. Do you, you try to hide it? Did you let anybody know you was coming to church? If they ask you tomorrow, would you be ashamed? Hey, I went down to church. Oh, no, no, I didn't go to church. I just went, I skipped it, went to eat. Would you, would you put it on your social media today that you actually went to Easter? Would it bother you? Would it offend you? Jesus was betrayed for us. Not only was he betrayed for us, he was forsaken for us. Look down at verse 36. Jesus was betrayed for you. He was betrayed for me. He was forsaken for you. He was forsaken for me. Look at verse 36. It says, when we come with Jesus with them into the place called Gethsemane, and saith to the disciples, sit ye here while I go and, and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to sorrowful and very heavy, and said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. He went a little further, and fell on his face, and prayed, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh to the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and said unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not in temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And when again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found him asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh to his disciples and said to them, Sleep on now, take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed unto the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he's at the hand that doth betray me. Jesus Christ was betrayed for us. Jesus Christ was forsaken for us. He was forsaken. He goes to this place called the Garden of Gethsemane. It's so perfect if you think about it because it was in the Garden of Eden 
where Jesus Christ, God, the Father, God, the Spirit, was first betrayed. Remember that? Remember the story? Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, God has created the whole world in six days. He creates man last. His name is Adam. Adam is given the opportunity to name all the animals. And it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. But finally, there's a not good because Adam's alone. And all the men said, Chuck, you get the award today, Chuck. You get it, Chuck. You're on your own, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Well, next, next. (laughs) What does Adam and Eve do eventually? They betray God. God the Father walks with them in the cool of the garden. Can you imagine that? God walks with them, talks with them, fellowships with them. Then a sneaky snake, Eric, your favorite pet, which is the devil, whispers in Eve's ear, Ah, hath God said, Hey, if you eat of that tree of the knowledge, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou you won't die. Well, he was kind of half right, and that's exactly what the devil does. He gives you a little bit of truth, but enough lie to hang yourself. That's what always the devil does. He gives you a little bit of, little bit of truth, but a whole lot of error. And this exactly was. No, no, they weren't going to physically die. They were going to spiritually die. She was deceived, but Adam, knowing full well consciously what he was doing, he ate of the fruit. Because of that, he sinned. And at that very moment, sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Adam sinned. Eventually, Adam and Eve was cast out of the Garden of Eden. But in this garden, the second Adam now was choosing Though he was all God and all humanity, he was making a choice, a conscious choice. He knew death was before him. He knew he would be betrayed. He was being betrayed as he was praying. He knew what he'd have to go through, the beating, the difficulty, but probably the most difficult thing would he would be forsaken. By all those people, all those disciples, The disciples like Peter and James and John that we talked about, the people that he'd been with, we've been talking about for several months now. He'd been preaching to and and talking to and encouraging and helping those people who he loved, cared for, ministered to, prayed with, prayed for. He'd be forsaken by them. And ultimately, he'd be forsaken by his Father God. That's why Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was forsaken because Jesus Christ took upon sin. And God the Father could not look upon God the Son and look upon his sin. This was Gethsemane. It means an oil press. The wrath of God was coming literally to be pressed on Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 14, about another portrayal. I read this passage and it it has always amazed me in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 14. But Zion said, the Lord hath forsaken me. That's Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. And my Lord hath forgotten me. Have you ever felt that way? 
You ever felt like God doesn't hear me? God doesn't care? God doesn't care about the price of gas? Or I've lost my job? Or my health isn't any good? Or I got that news from the doctor? You ever felt that way? Did God really care? Does he listen? If you're honest, you have said it. Maybe not verbally out loud, but in your spirit. This is what Zion said. Jerusalem, the Lord hath forsaken me. My Lord hath forgotten me. Verse 15, can a, and this is a response. Can a woman forget her suckling child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Does a woman forget her child? No, I, I got two children. I, I know a whole lot, a little bit about ch- child raising. Not a, I'm, not, I'm not finished yet. But I'm coming towards the end, a little bit towards the end of this stage of it. And I know one thing. Mama wants to know where the kids are. She likes to know where, and all of you who are parents, you, you but especially mom, mama bear. There's something about that bear part, right? They, they, they want to know. They want to protect. They want to know where their children are. It's important. That's how God made you. That's how God made you. And of all the things you would think, can a woman forsake her suckling child, a baby? Look what the Bible says in verse 15, but listen if you want. Yea, they may forget, yet God says, I will not forget thee. I'll not forget thee. And he goes on to say in verse 16, Behold, I've graven thee on the palms of my hand. God said, my hands. <laughs> Man, I remember as a kid looking at my dad's hands. I had a little bitty tiny hands. Dad had big old scarred, rough hands. He was a truck driver. And I thought, man, one of these days I'll have hands like him. I haven't yet, probably never will. But think about God's hands. And God says, a mother may forget her suckling child, but I have graven you on my hands, the palms of my hands, and thy walls are continually before me. God can't forget you. You're my people. I love you. Yes, you've forsaken me. You failed me, but I will never forsake you. And that's what he says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. The writer of Hebrews says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things you have. For I have said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Dear friend, in this life, family, friends, pets, animals, they may all quit you. You are not sure of anything. If you put your arm in the flesh, the flesh will fail you every time. Every time. As a preacher of the gospel for 20, 30 years now, 33 or 30 years, I've seen good husbands stay with bad women and bad women stay with good husbands. I've seen kids from good homes leave and and forsake their parents and kids from bad homes stay faithful. I've seen every which way. There's no calculation. There's no figure in it. But I know one thing for sure. Throughout life, if you know Christ, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Through the good, through the bad, and sometimes through the ugly. God is is always there. I've failed God thousands upon thousands upon thousands of times. But he's never failed me. He's never quit on me. He's never given up on me. He's never promised me something that didn't come to pass. He's He's not said it in his word and it didn't come true. He's never forsaken me. Though he was forsaken. You want someone to trust in? You trust in yourself? Oh, that's foolish. <laughs> you will fail yourself all the time. You trust in people? Oh, they, they will trust, they will fail you all the time. You trust in the government? Well, good luck at that. 
You trust in money, it's, got, it's like a bag with holes. It goes right out the other end. You save all this money, one call from the doctor, it's all gone. You can plan, you can calculate, and I'm not saying you should, and you should. But ultimately, dear friend, there's only one person you can trust in, only one thing you can trust in, that's God. And that's for certain. Jesus was betrayed for you. Jesus was forsaken for you. For you. But thirdly, this morning, Jesus was punished for you. Look at chapter 27, one chapter over. Look at verse 45. Jesus was punished for you. Jesus was punished for you. Verse, chapter 27, verse 45. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. Then cometh to his disciples and said to them, Sleep on now, take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed. The hands of sinners rise. Let us be going. Behold, he's at the hand that doth betray me. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came with him, a great multitude with swords and staves and chief priests. And... Am I the right chapter? Oh, excuse me. Sorry. You thought you were wrong, right? No, I was wrong. It was good, but we'll go one more chapter. Sorry about that. You was all thinking, where am I at? He, he, I'm lost, I'm lost. I know, I've, I've been there too. Matthew 27, 45. Let's try this again. Now from the sixth hour, there's darkness all over the land into the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard it, that said, this man called for Elias or Elijah. And straightway, one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put, a, put it on a reed and Gave him to drink. And the rest said, let be, let us see what Elias will come to save him. And Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went to the holy city and appeared to many. Now when the centurion... And they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake. Those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Wow. Jesus was betrayed for you. Jesus was forsaken for you. And thirdly, Jesus was punished for you. Jesus Christ was willing to take your place. Throughout the whole New Te Old Testament, it points to sacrifices, sacrifices, sacrifices. And oftentimes when a sacrifice had to be done, it had to be a spotless animal, a spotless lamb. There could be no blemish in it. Jesus Christ is unique because Jesus Christ never sinned one time. He had brothers and sisters, and he half brothers and sisters, and he never sinned. That's amazing. He had a, he had a mom and, a, and a, a dad that, of course, was humanly dad, Joseph, and yet he never sinned. He lived for 33 years of age and never sinned one time. He was a spotless lamb. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 3, He's despised, rejected a man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and esteemed him not. Surely hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did him esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with the stripes we were healed. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, we read, For Christ also has once, once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. 
that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. We talked about the oil press. In ancient times, two large beams or two large stones pressed olives together to extract the oil. Jesus was pressed by his Father, punished by his Father. Why? So that you and I could have everlasting life. He had to die. The blood had to be shed. The sacrifice had to be made. The price had to be paid. And many times uh, we look at a, a book, a good book or a good movie, and the hero dies at the end. And Jesus did die. He didn't swoon. He was buried. The hero died. But the story's not over. The story is not over. He was betrayed for you. He forsaken for you. He was punished for you. And Jesus Christ today is alive for you. He's alive. Look at chapter 28 and verse 1. Chapter 28 and verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, it was began to be dawn towards the first day of the week. Came Mary Magdalene and others married to the sepulcher. Behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and, and, the, and the door and sat upon it. And the countenance was like lightning. The raiment was like snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. The angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I have no that you seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, and there you shall see him. Lo, I've told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy, and did run with his disciples' word. And as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met him, saying, All hail. And they came and held him to the, by, by the feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they, into, go, they go into Galilee, and there they shall see me. Yes, Jesus Christ was betrayed for you. Jesus Christ was forsaken for you. Jesus Christ was punished for you. But even today, my dear friend, what Brother Chuck said is true. All other ent entities, all other gods, you can find their sepulcher. Where is Buddha today? Where's Muhammad today? Where's Confucius today? Where are they? Where's Jesus today? He's alive. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, no matter what men may say. How do I know? Because he's in my heart. What is the greatest evidence of Jesus Christ? Yes, he was portrayed. Yes, he was forsaken. Yes, he was punished. And how many people through all of that still would have went to the cross? For the people that were beating him, spitting upon him, taking a whip with three strands, and on that strands was stone and glass and beating him over and over and over and over, past what isn't, past what isn't imaginable. But he went through all that, the betrayal, the crown of thorns, the taking of the cross up the Via de la Rosa, being crucified, hands placed out, Nails in his hands and his feet. Spear in his side. Dear friends, they didn't kill him. 
They didn't care. He allowed his life to be taken from him. He could have called 10 million angels and got off that cross. The king willingly died. It wasn't a fight. It wasn't a game. It wasn't a joke. It was reality. The king of kings died so that we could have everlasting life. He was betrayed. He was forsaken. He was punished. And he is alive. Do you know what Easter is about? It's a lot more than the rabbit and the bunny and candy. It's a lot more than a lot more than those things. It's about a risen Savior who's still alive. You know what he wants more than anything? He wants you to know him. The greatest evidence of Jesus Christ is his word is the word of God, but not only the word of God, but how the word of God has worked in the lives of people. If we had time today and you guys weren't hungry, because I know you're really hungry about right now, we could line up people, probably 30, 40 people. And from these 30 or 40 people, tell, ask them, how were you saved? Some were saved at a young age, three, four, five, six, seven. Some were saved later in life. But they would tell you that there was a time in their life where they recognized the fact that, first of all, they were sinners. The Bible says it in Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us are to the perfection of God. Now, if you're a married folk, your wife or husband will say amen to that. None of us on our own can, can jump from here to the other side of that, to the other side over, over by that organ. Now, we might get close. We might take a run and stab at it. But we probably can't get all the way over there. There's a fur, fur piece between here and there. Religion can't get you there. Money can't get you there. Being, having Christian parents can't get you there. Saying your prayers, reading your Bible, getting baptized, being a Baptist, Catholic, Lutheran, Pentecostal, Methodist. I can't keep going. None of the, none of the things that I could do try to get from here to there would work. I tried it. At 17 years of age, I tried to be religious. Actually, I, I started coming to like Easter services and Christmas, Christmas services. And going to special things that my girlfriend wanted me to go. I went. I thought, maybe if I just get a little more religion, I just get around folks. Maybe things will be better. No, I tried all that. It didn't work. Because all of sin comes short of the glory of God. There's nothing you can do to attain where God is. There's nothing you can do. You think, well, that, well then what's the point? Well, that's the bad news. <laughs> the bad news always says is the wages of sin is death. If I can't attain to God's perfection, what happens to me when I die? Well, the reality is if I try to attain to God's perfection and I try to do it on my own to get to there, and I know I can't get there on my own, the wages, all that I work for, earn, what are they going to get me? They're going to cause me to come short. And if I, call, if I come short to God's perfection and I can't go to heaven because of my works, where do I go? Go to a place that God never intended anybody to go, a place called hell. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Is hell real? Just like heaven's real. Just like God's real. Just like Jesus' real. Just like the angel's real. Actually, Jesus talks more about hell than he does heaven. Hell's a real place prepared for the, angel, for the devil and his angels. It's a real place. And if I can't attain perfection where God is, then I have to go to that place. 
But my dear friend, that's not his will. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. What is repentance? It's re recognizing that you can't do it, but Christ has done it. The Bible says, for the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God, what God has already done, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation is not something to be earned. It's the person to be trusted in. Christianity is not a religion. It's not something you do on Christmas and Easter. It's a relationship. It's a relationship that you have. I'm not here today because somebody pays me to do this. I'm doing this because God wants me to do this. If you're a Christian, you want to be in church. You want to serve God. You want to live for him. I thought Christianity was just doing a bunch of religious stuff to please the other people in the church. No, it's about pleasing them. It's about pleasing him because he died for me. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In the midst of your sin, I don't know all of you here. You say, preacher, I've done some bad things. But you know what the Bible says? But God committed his love. He's communicated his love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he knew how bad you would be. He knew how bad I'd be. And yet knowing all that, no matter how far you've run from him, he still chose to die for you. He chose to die for the Romans who was putting the nails in his hands. He chose to die for Pilate that said, crucify him. He chose to die for Judas who betrayed him. He chose it. He chose it. He said, what do I have to do, preacher? It's done for you. It's, but it says in chapter 10, verse 9 of the book of Romans, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. I said at the beginning of service, 33 years ago, this last Friday, Good Friday, I went to a youth activity. I was invited by a 14-year-old girl. I didn't want to go, but I went anyways. And at that youth activity, after the activity was over, a preacher stood up. He said, asked me a question that I'll never forget. He said, are you 100% sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? And sitting there at 17 years of age, 525 Taylor's Road, Taylor, South Carolina, April the 15th, 1989. Marty Moon was unsure if I would go to heaven or go to hell. I didn't know anything about this book. I didn't know anything about this book. I knew three things. God loved me. He sent his son to die for me. I did not want to go there. I wanted to go there. That's all I knew. You ask me, where Matthew, Mark, Luke, John? I don't know. How many chapters? I don't know. What's the Bible about? All I know, God loved me so much. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, who died for my sins. I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to go to heaven. The preacher said, would you will be willing to place your faith in Jesus Christ alone today? See, I was thinking, like I said to you, that I could get to heaven by being good, by being a Baptist, by making decisions, by praying prayers, by getting baptized. None of those things saved me. I had to realize for the first time in my life that Jesus Christ loved me and died for me and was willing to save me. And I needed to place my faith in him or I was going to go to hell forever. And I have no doubt in my mind, no doubt, if I didn't ask Jesus Christ to die for me, I mean, if I didn't ask to be saved that day on April the 15th, 1989, I believe I've been hell right now. 
I believe it was my last opportunity. I don't know where you're at today spiritually. I wish as a Baptist preacher, you could have a little thing on top of your head said, I'm saved, I'm okay, don't talk to me. But maybe you're here this morning like I was sitting out in the audience 33 years ago last Friday, and you say, Preacher, I'm not sure if I die, I go to heaven. But you want to be sure. Dear friend, you don't want to go to hell. You say, Preacher, I used to think, well, hell is going to be a place, man. We'll party, we'll have fun, we'll rock and roll, we'll have all my friends down there, it's going to be great. No, no, it's not. It's a place of fire and torment and pain, and it ne it's never over. You don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. And you don't have to go there. All you have to do is recognize I'm a sinner. Jesus Christ has died for my sin. I repent of it. I recognize I'm going the wrong way. I know I'm going the wrong way. And I want Jesus Christ to save me from my sin. If you'll do that, he'll save you. For the Bible says, whosoever. Are you a whosoever? If you're sitting here this morning, you're a whosoever. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can walk in this room. I don't know about religion. I was just invited here. I know it's Easter. I had to come. Grandma won't fix me mashed potatoes if I didn't make you come. I'm doing it because I have to, not because I want to. I was right there with you, friend. I was at an activity, not because I wanted to. I felt like I had to. But I walked out a different person. I walked out. I walked in party hardy Marty Moon. I walked out a child of God. My name forever settled in heaven. My name, Marty Moon, written in the book of life forever and ever and ever. And dear friend, that can be you today. Questions? Sure. Not sure? Maybe. But dear friend, be sure about this. Christ loves you. He died for you. Though he's betrayed, laughed at, punished, mocked. He died, was buried, and rose again for you personally so that you can have everlasting life. Do you know him this morning? Do you know him? Just bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Jesus, that you did die for us. We thank you, Lord, that we can be sure. We don't have to wonder, maybe, possibly, that we can be sure. <laughs> Because your word, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Does it have to be maybe? We don't have to walk in here the same way as we walk out of here, the same way we walked in here. Oh, Lord, I pray you'd save us today. Help us to be saved. Father, draw that person, those persons in this room who do not know you. Help them to see your truth. Do what I cannot do. Speak to the hearts of people. With head bowed, eyes closed. This morning, you say, preacher, I've heard what you're saying. And if I'm totally honest, you're not just honest with me. You're honest, you're, you're, this is God between you and God. This is between you and God. Everybody's eyes are closed. Everybody's head's bowed. Nobody's looking around. Between you and God this morning and myself, preacher, be honest with you. If I died today, I'm not sure where I, I'm not sure what would happen to me. I'm really not sure, but I, I, I want to know. Would you pray for me? I promise you I won't embarrass you. I'll never do that for all the money in the world. But I, I, need, I, I need to be saved. I'm not sure about my salvation. Would you pray for me? Anybody be honest about that this morning? Anybody be honest? I'm not a Christian. I'm not saved. If I died today, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'd go to heaven or hell, but I want to know. I'm not sure. I'm just not sure. 
but I want to be sure. I'm not 100% sure if I died today, I'd go to heaven. Would you pray for me, preacher? Anybody at all this morning? Anybody be honest? Anybody be honest? You're Christian, but you've not been living for Jesus the way you know you should. You've not been faithful. You've been raised in church. You've, been, you've read some of the Bible, but you've not been living for him. You've walked away. and maybe, maybe, you, maybe you even attend church, but in your spirit, you're not living for God. You're kind of going through the motions. You're making it happen. But in your heart of hearts, you've fallen away from God. Dear friend, Jesus Christ is the God of the second chances and the third chances. The Bible says if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You may have fallen away, but I promise you, he'll never forsake you. Say, preacher, I know I'm saved, but I'm not living the way I should. I'm not living the way I should live. Would you pray for me that I would truly live for Jesus Christ? That's my prayer this morning. Can I pray for you, friend? Anybody be honest this morning? Amen. Praise God. Thank you for your honesty. Anybody else? Amen. Thank you for your honesty. Anybody else? I'm saved. I know I'm, I'm, if I died, go to heaven. But I've not been living for you, for God. I know I haven't. Anybody be else? Anybody else? Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? Amen. Thank you for your honesty. At this time, with head bowed and eyes closed, would you stand to your feet? Well, what we're having is what we call an invitation. Nobody's looking around. We're going to have a song played on the piano called Just As I Am. If you're here this morning and say, Preacher, I didn't raise my hand about salvation. I'm nervous, scared. I know exactly where you are. I've been there too. Nobody's looking around. You're in the, you're in the best company because you're in, a, you're in a church where people actually love one another and care about one another. If you want to walk down this aisle and meet Brother Clayton or myself, or if you're a lady, say, you just walk down this aisle and say, I'm not, I really want to go to heaven. I really don't want to go to hell. We'll take a Bible and from the Word of God in just a few moments show you how you can be sure when you die you go to heaven. I beg you. I plead with you. Don't walk out those doors not being sure. You will stand before God one day. I promise you, you will. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You want to do it willingly because you know him. You don't want to hear the words, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. But dear friend, if you don't know Christ, those are the words you will hear. And you'll be cast into hell forever and ever and ever. That's not God's desire. That's a choice you make. Say, preacher, I, I need to be saved. Christian, I want to live for God. Whatever God has called you to do, whatever Spirit's asking you to do, would you just obey God's voice? As the music plays this morning, make a decision for God. I need to live for Him. I've walked away from Him. I'm not saved. I need to become a Christian. I need Christ as my Savior. Whatever the decision is, whatever the Spirit is speaking to you about today, would you do it? Would you obey God? I've, been not, I've not been following. I've not been doing what I need to be doing. Some of you raised your hands this morning. Would you like to come and just seal that decision? Put a stake down in your life. I'm going to live for God from this time forward. I'm going to start coming to church faithfully. Read my Bible faithfully. Praying faithfully. Some of you need to be saved this morning. Don't worry about the person beside you or in front of you. Or who you're
related to. Your destiny, your destiny is before you. Oh, I beg you this morning. Choose Jesus. Choose Jesus.